we are here to celebrate that. And there's a lot of backstory to what Jesus came and what Jesus did. And one of the hardest things about really fully appreciating it is the fact that most of us already know what happens when we talk about it each year. You know, we, we aren't surprised by the news that Jesus was resurrected. And so it can be a challenge to get together, you know, each, each year, each Easter, and to talk about this and to, to talk about why it's so significant and to not lose sight of it. That's sort of the, the challenge of uh, these things that we remember every year, things like, things like Christmas, things like Good Friday, things like Resurrection Sunday. Uh, on Friday, we had a Good Friday service, and um, it's always one of the harder services to put together and to plan because it is a service of laments, because it is a service in which we feel that we have to enter in and we have to be able to really embrace uh, what happened there um, on that cross without necessarily getting to the good news at the end of it, which comes on Resurrection Sunday today. Um, we, we talked on Friday, uh, Pastor Matt talked about, uh, about things like betrayal, um, and the fact that on Good Friday, what we have to wrap our minds around is the fact that, yes, Jesus was betrayed, but we ourselves have been betrayed, and we ourselves have betrayed others. We know what it feels like to be the victim of sin, and we know what it feels like if we're at all self-aware. I mean, some of us are living in a bubble and have no idea that we do things, but we, most of us know that we ourselves have betrayed others. We've dealt with the guilt and the shame that comes with that, knowing that even some of those who are closest to us that we love the most, that we have treated in such a way that we know is wrong. And so on Good Friday, as we uh, kind of continually went back to these things that, that we ourselves have done that have caused this thing, uh, which is Jesus to have to pay the sacrifice, we lament as a result of it. After Jesus died on the cross, he uh, was taken by some of his disciples, by, um, by a few women, and um, placed into the tomb. Uh, and they prepared his body, and they placed him there, and then the stone was rolled in front of it. And then as they went back later to check, he was gone. Uh, when you read in the gospel accounts, um, Mary and a few other women go and uh, check on resurrection on Easter morning, you know, and the body just isn't there. It's gone. And so now, on top of everything else they've dealt with, his body's gone. They don't even get that anymore. And that's when an angel appears to them and says to them the good news that he has been resurrected, that those things that he said that were still too hard to wrap their minds around were actually happening. Then we read about disciples, about Peter and Cleopas, not really a name that we give kids as much as we probably should. You know, we stick with the Peters, but not a lot of Cleopas is out there. And they're walking along the road um, to um, Emmaus, and, and as they're walking, Jesus, they encounter him. One of the things that we read about when Jesus is resurrected is he decides if someone's going to recognize him or not. And he just, they're not aware of who he is. It says he hasn't given them the ability to see him for who he really is. So he'll have these interactions with people, kind of like a, I think it's kind of amusing, you know, the idea that Jesus comes back and he's like, all right, let's see what they're doing. Let's see what they're saying. Let's see how they feel about this. And that's exactly what he does. He asks them as they're walking along the road, what are you guys talking about? And Peter says to him, are you the only one who is visiting Jerusalem during Passover who does not know what we're talking about, who does not know what's going on? And then they proceed to tell Jesus all about what has happened, not knowing that it's him. He eventually tells them, not as Jesus yet, he eventually tells them, man, you guys really 
uh, didn't seem to be paying much attention to uh, what was in the scriptures. If you're surprised by what's happening, if you don't understand what's happening, they even tell him, apparently somebody saw like an angel and they said that he was back. And so we're trying to figure that out. Is that true? Jesus then showed them who he was. And Peter and Cleopas, uh, they went, they gathered the rest of, uh, or many of the, the, the disciples, they gathered the rest of the disciples together, and, and Jesus would then appear to them. Uh, so they're gathered together in a room, and they're talking about all these things that have happened, and they're kind of comparing notes, and Peter and Cleopas are filling them in, saying, hey, we saw Jesus physically on the road, and they're trying to wrap their minds around how it could at all be possible that he is back, he is alive again in the flesh in a physical way. This is where we read this morning. It's in, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and I'll put it up on the screen, but this is uh, Jesus, um, oh, I left my little clicker down there. Can I leave it down there? Can I have that? Thank you so much. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I would do without this. Um, I'm going to put it up on the screen. We're going to read a little bit of most of these verses in the beginning. And if you, don't have a, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you don't, just follow with us. Luke 24, 36 through 49, they're gathered together in the room. And, and, and now here's what we read that happens. In Luke 24, 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And, as, uh, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. We'll stop right there for a second. Jesus has appeared to them, and they cannot quite wrap their minds around what's happening. And the big thing, the big distinction here that's really clear is the difference between Jesus being there in a spirit form in any way other than the way he is, and then Jesus being there as he is, which is physically, in a body, resurrected. There's a lot of emphasis here. Um, And they don't even know how to wrap their minds around this. Uh, Jesus even says to them, uh, do you guys have any food? And he probably isn't saying that because he's starving, although he has been through quite a bit. He's saying that because he wants them to see him eat, to know that, like, in, in, in this isn't some different sort of spiritual type of an experience. This is Jesus in a physical body, and that that is going to somehow be important. Now, you also know that it's important, not just because Jesus is emphasizing it, but because they can't seem to deal with it. They can't seem to accept it. They can't seem to wrap their minds around it. I mean, it's kind of interesting that, like, Angel, they're like, no big deal. Kind of scary, but, yeah, you know, we, we, we believe in angels. Uh, spirit, ghost spirit, you know, 
he had to prove to them that he wasn't that. Like, uh, nah, we, 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 can, we could see that. We could see that happening, you know, especially, you know, he was, uh, he was, he was of God. He had the authority of God. Like, yeah, who, who knows? Like, would not be surprised if there was some spirit uh, form of him that wasn't physical but was still there that, that visited us. You know, that, that wouldn't shock us, right? It's like those things to them are not hard to wrap their minds around. But this is not a world in which people believed in resurrection, one of, the, one of the things to keep in mind um, when asking ourselves like, about the validity of the resurrection, is this real? Could this have happened? One of the biggest misunderstandings uh, from people who would say this could never happen is they would say, of course, thousands of years ago, people just thought you could get resurrected. No, that was as crazy then as it is now. They believed in some of these other things that, we, that they feared that he might be or they were, they, were, they were dealing with a lot more naturally. But at that time, a person dying and physically coming back to life was not something that people thought could happen, would happen, did happen. They were not expecting this to happen. I mean, if you need any more proof of that, how about the fact that the Bible talks about it again and again and they don't seem to grasp it. They're just like, that's why Jesus keeps saying to them. It's why he shows up to them on the road and is like, did you guys not pay attention? And then now he says, guys, these things that you have heard have to be fulfilled. Why is it so hard for them to accept this? Why do we read this word, doubt, in this situation? When he asks them, why do you doubt me? That, that, that we know the story, many of us, of doubting Thomas, who's the one that says, I need to see and feel and put my, I need, to, I need, to, I need more proof before I'm going to accept that this thing is real. Why do they have such a hard time accepting that Jesus has been resurrected? The reason they do is because of what it means that Jesus has been resurrected. You see, as we saw in the video and as we talked about on Palm Sunday, and as we've been talking about, as we've been going through 1 Samuel um, as a church, uh, people want a king. People want someone to come and lead them, to rescue them from the enemy. We want a king because in our understanding, a good king is going to set us up for real blessing. They're going to get rid of all the stuff that interferes with me doing well in my life. Because we'd like to believe that if all that stuff was taken care of, and if I was left to myself and I could just do my own thing, that I would be blessed, that I would make good choices, that my life would go well, that things would go well. And yet, that's not what the Bible says would happen. That's not our experience of what has happened or does happen when we are given over to ourselves and simply have a king or a leader who removes all the hurdles that we want removed. No, Jesus didn't come to be a king. He didn't come back as a spirit to remind them to keep going. He didn't come in any form other than to be resurrected. And the reason him showing up in this body is such a big deal is because it literally makes him dying completely and totally irrelevant. It's like it didn't happen. It's like, oh, no, I'm fine. No, 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 none of, that, none of that had any effect on me. I've got these scars, but I'm fine. And the sheer idea that somehow a person could die 
not just kind of die or get close to dying or be near death, but die and then be dead for a while, you know, long enough that they believe for the spirit to, because people believed at the time that if for about three days, the spirit could kind of still linger around a body. He had been dead long enough that that wouldn't even be possible. But for someone to come back and be physically eating food and be, be there, it's not that he, you know, went on to some other plane that they kind of believed that, yes, we could see that maybe happening. No, he is saying in doing that, that thing, death, had no effect on me. Death, as we say, has lost its sting. I mean, could you even, we can't really wrap our minds around that idea. Because death is the thing that most of us fear the most, that we feel we dread so often. We've all lost people who mean a lot to us, and it feels like there's a sting. It feels like death is pretty real. And yet what Jesus' resurrection in the body says is death has lost its power to those who are in me. You see, he wasn't here to give them just a king or just to give them rules to live by. He was not there to be a teacher or just a prophet or just a new kind of a priest. He had come to do this very thing, to defeat death. You see, what Jesus uh, goes on to say to them is, is why it had to happen this way. And he says this, we, we read this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, which we know eventually is going to be the Holy Spirit coming and empowering them to do he says even greater things than he had done in his ministry on earth. Jesus says to them, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day arise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In his name. How is a person saved? In his name. How is it even possible to repent and then be okay with God? In his name. Where is all the power? Where is everything lie? In his name. Does he say to them, here's the deal. You guys have been with me for a while. We're pretty close. I trust you with a lot of things. Now it can be in your name too. So in your name, people are going to be saved. Nope. He says, in my name, people will be saved. When Peter himself uh, sort of teaches this, repeats this again uh, in Acts, to the very people, the very Jewish leaders, when he's brought before them, who killed Jesus, he puts it this way. And there is a salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under which heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says, there is no other name by which we must be saved. There is just nothing else, no one else other than Jesus. What Jesus did and it was so hard for them to wrap their minds around that this was happening, was he brought them salvation. And the reason it is so hard for us to wrap our minds around salvation is because it's just so good if you understand that you need it, or it's just so irrelevant to you if you think, I don't need salvation. 
you either don't see why we would need it anyway. Or, in which case you read the Gospels, you look at what Jesus did and go, it doesn't really make sense to me that it ended that way. Or you're someone who knows that you need salvation. And if you really know that, and if you really feel that and you're living in that, then it is, seems even harder to believe that it's actually possible just in the name of Jesus. It's like you think something is going to happen and then something completely different happens and it just doesn't compute. Imagine that you're um, working in your job and you're, being eva- you're getting an evaluation. It's like an evaluation season. You're like, why are you saying this? I- I've lived through this and I don't want to think about it because it's awful, right? No, they're really, it's really a fun thing to go through, right? Let's say you're in your job, you're going through some sort of an evaluation period and, and as you're doing that, you're, it's becoming pretty clear to you, I don't know that this is a very good fit, you know? Uh, I'm not hearing good things. I'm not getting good feedback from people. I'm not sure how well this is going to go. Uh, but, you know, I'm willing to try whatever, you know? And it's all going to culminate in, let's say, like you have a meeting with your boss, and you're going to talk about it, right? And, uh, and so you're like, okay, it's all going to come down to this. You're dreading it. You're losing sleep. You're, you're, you can't eat, right? Because you know something's coming. It doesn't really seem like things are going well and working. And then the morning of, let's say your boss is going to come in your office and meet with you, right? But the morning of that meeting, their assistant comes in. I should have brought one of these up here, but um, the assistant comes in. And they go, hey, just before the meeting, they wanted me to drop this off for you. They said, you're going to need this. And it was just an empty banker's box. They were like, here you go. Just, uh, they said, you're probably going to need that at some point after the meeting, right? <laughs> and uh, Matt has a bunch in his office, but it's not for that reason. <laughs> but now it's become a joke. Like somebody walks in, they're like, oh, yikes, you know? So their assistant comes in like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Just, they said you might want this. You're, they said you're probably going to need this, right? Okay, banker's box, what? If you don't know what, what the deal is with this. When I was a kid, my dad was laid off from his job, and he came home with three of these banker's boxes, cardboard boxes, with a bunch of stuff in them, and uh, because he was done, right? You go, okay, this is really not going to be good. And then your boss comes in, and they sit down with you, and they say, so... It seems like, well, what we've realized in this evaluation is this isn't a very good fit. So we're promoting you. And we want you to do this job that we think is a perfect fit for you. Bye. And then they walk out. And you're like, they're like, oh, you have a new office. So you pack up your stuff and get over there. You just sit there. Like, this doesn't compute. How much of my brain, my life, my mind has been geared up for something really bad, something that I'm not, this is not good. And then all of a sudden, it's like the greatest thing that it could have been. I mean, how would you even be able to compute that? You wouldn't. As Jesus comes and is resurrected and brings salvation, that is such good news to us way better than anything we could have hoped for, that you just can't even wrap your mind around it fully if you know that you need it. And I think the disciples at this point know that they need it. This is why him being there physically in his body is just so hard for them to to understand, why they even doubt up until the very last piece of physical evidence 
But one of the hard things about talking about resurrection each year is there's so many of us that just think, I don't need salvation. That's a big word. That's a big thing. And I'm not sure that I'd say I feel like I really need that. I was reading an article this last week in this magazine called Vice, and um, it, it's a, or like a publication. And um, this woman was writing in this article. She was a, her name's Shayla Love, and it was an article about something called the true self. She writes kind of about psychology um, in this magazine, and she was writing uh, this article about something called the true self. And and she was quoting a uh, research psychologist who had become very fascinated with this idea that we believe and these are, these are non-Christians for sure, that we believe that there's something about us that might, like, like, like there's, what, is, what is the most core thing that makes you who you are? And they, they're trying to figure this out, how, what people think about this. So, they asked, so this researcher asked people in various ways the same question, which is this, if you were to go from your body to another body, what do you think would survive and still make you you? And they try to come up with all these different creative ways of asking people the question of, do you think that, what do you think it is that really makes you, you? And overwhelmingly, the responses from people, and these responses ended up matching up with other, um, other people groups and other cultures all over the world that psychologists had also studied, was this, that there was this firm belief that people have that we have this thing that's called, we call like a true self. This is who I really am at the core. And what the really fascinating thing is, is people described it not in terms of their personality or in terms of their talents and abilities, but in terms of morality. People said, I believe that the part of me that that would last, that would have to last, is is this part of me that has to do with what's good, what's right and wrong. What I believe about what is right and what is wrong is the part of me that would have to go on in order for me to still be who I am. All these other things could totally change. And so what's really crazy about this is that, is that they're saying that people throughout the world, all different cultures, everything, we believe or we want to believe that there is something about us that is, one, not tied up in our physical bodies, kind of like a soul, you could say. But two, that that thing is inherently good. It, it, like like, like when, when left to itself, it will be good. Well, why wouldn't I want to believe that about myself, right? Why wouldn't people be prone to believe that about themselves? But they said in this study that they actually assume this about other people too. That we actually look at other people and we tend to believe that the good things that they do come from who they are and the bad things that they do come from all the junk that gets in the way of who I am. The way one of them, um, the way she wrote about it in this article, she said this, when people make positive changes in their life, they are more likely to be viewed as revealing what was always deep inside of them. When they make negative changes, they are moving away from their true selves. When subjects were asked what parts of the self were to blame for a person becoming bad, like being a deadbeat dad, as one study asked participants, said that those changes were attributed to the surface self. These are all the things that aren't really who that person is. But if someone becomes a better person, a loving father, that was an expression of the true self. This 
this study has come to show, and all these other studies line up with it, not being done by Christians or people who read the Bible and base anything that they believe off of that, that we as a people believe that when we do good things, that's who we really are. And when we do bad things, that's all the junk that gets in the way. And that we even want to believe that about each other. And the example they give is, you know, it's the election season. You're talking to your parent or your kid maybe about it, and you're totally disagreeing or something with a friend. And, and that, that you're actually more prone to go, ah, they've just been kind of indoctrinated. They've been kind of blinded by these things. That's not who they really are. That's not what they really think. That's not how they really feel. That's not their true self. You see, when you have the luxury of being able to decide what reality is, decide how you want things to be, what we will decide each time is that there's something about us deep down that is so good, that I'm good, that when left to myself, I'll do good things, I'll make good choices. But the rest of the article goes on, and these researchers say unanimously they don't believe in this. They say, even though everybody thinks it's real, we don't believe in it. Why? Because we live in the world. And because everybody says the same thing. Man, if I was there back when, you know, that war happened, I would never have done that. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, that's not true. Because the belief is, no, 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 I would be better. I would do a right thing. I would choose the right thing. I don't need to be saved from myself. We don't need to be saved from ourselves. What we need is we need all this other junk and stuff to go away and and get out of our way so that we can just be the beautiful things that we are. But because of sin and because of the effects of sin, that's not the way it works. That the truth is, if left to myself, if given the perfect king and being allowed to construct the life that I've always wanted, I would ruin that life. It doesn't mean that God uh, didn't, uh, doesn't love us as his children. It doesn't mean that we don't have value. What it means is that we need salvation. And so there's no better news than the news that Jesus was resurrected physically into this new body. One of the things they say is so toxic about viewing ourselves this way, being good inherently, is that you don't have to earn it with your actions. That what this also says is it says, even though I do terrible things, I'm a good person. And they say, that's not a recipe for a good society. There's a bunch of people going around saying that. I could sum all of this up with just a comic strip, and you're probably going, why didn't you? And I'm like, well, I don't know. We're practice. We're getting, like Matt said, we're going to get it right by the third one, you know? You can tell me this after. Is is this just better if I just show this? This is two kids in a room that they destroyed saying, but this is not who we are. This is how we want so badly to view the world and to see the world, but it just isn't the way the world is. Scientists who study the way people behave and treat each other, who don't even believe in God, say, uh, 
that's not the way the world really is. Because this is such good news, that there is salvation for us, and that salvation is in no one else, and that it is only just in the, it is even in the name of Jesus. That's why when we pray to receive Christ, to become a Christian, to choose to follow him and trust in him, we, 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 we simply profess faith and say, it is not in my name. It is not about me getting to the purest, best version of myself, and that's where my salvation is going to come from. No, it is about me calling on the name of Jesus because I can only find salvation in him. He makes a huge, bold claim when Jesus says that this is where salvation comes from and nowhere else. But his disciples certainly believed it. They believed it enough to preach it to others and to give their lives for it. We gather together as a church. You know, normally... Uh, when we talk about this in Easter, it can be a challenge because um, you're coming together and you're worshiping and you're talking about this thing that's a really big deal and it almost feels kind of like you're trying to like make it a big deal again. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, it's Christmas. We want to make the birth of Jesus a big deal even though we all are used to the idea of the birth of Jesus and we want to make the resurrection a big deal even though we're all used to it. How great is it that this time in which we're coming back together as a church, finally. I mean, this, uh, there's never been this many, you know, we haven't had this many people yet in, in, in a service together. That it is us gathering together on this day of all days as a people of hope who are celebrating and worshiping God because of the fact that our salvation, salvation is available to us. It is in Christ himself. Last year was a really lame Easter, I mean, church-wise. I remember I went back last night, and I was watching the video from the service, and it just like, it's like, man, putting together an Easter service on your computer and then, you know, publishing it out to the church is not the same as coming together. And I remember having this overwhelming sense of you're trying to be positive, you're trying to be good about it, but like, this is not how it's supposed to be. And I went and I looked, and at the very end of the service, I basically said that. And I want to show that part. I mean, technically, I'm, yeah, I'm reusing old material. You know, again, we'll get the bugs worked out by the third service. But to give, to give, to give credit where it's due, it's a really good preacher, and he's good. You'll like him. Um, not, my, not my stuff, it's his. But as we prepare to worship and as we prepare to respond to this, we do so celebrating the fact that after like so long of being apart and not being able to come back corporately and worship together, that we get to come back and gather with one another in person. And even for those of you who are at home who are watching, you can't be here yet, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you feel even worse about the fact you can't be here, but I know and you know that one day you will come back, you will be back here with us, and you'll be back here with us celebrating this. One last thing that I just have to say is um, in so many ways, this is a time of celebration, but it is also a time of, of lament. Uh, it's a time of lament because we uh, are not meant to gather this way. Uh, that, that the Bible calls us to 
come together physically as people. And yet right now we just can't do that. And so while this is a day of celebration, we recognize that this, we are looking forward to, we are anticipating the day when we all get to come back together as a family and when church is not about the content of what's given and it is not about the quality or sound of the recordings and the worship and the way that it all comes out, that, that church is something that can happen even when servers crash because church is people coming together in community and worshiping and being in God's word. We are anticipating that as we lament this fact that uh, this Easter is one where we celebrate resurrection, but we do it separately. Um, and so we as pastors are so excited to get to see all of you together again to get to have church the way that God um, intends for it to be. And we trust and know that God is in control. We know that he is in control and that we can trust him and that while he does not promise us that what comes after this will be the same as what was before it, um, we know that it will be okay because we will be in him. God bless.